It's a penetrating question, isn't it? And Laura's voice brought that question alive to us in an amazing and beautiful way. What do I know of holy? What, what do I know of that? How can I begin to express the one who the angels praise? I get a, I get a glimpse, just a glimpse, and it brings me to my knees. What is it that we know of holy? Today we're going to look at that together in Job chapter 38. Page 427 in the Bibles near you in the pews on your electronic devices. We're going to release the, the kids as they go off to their class as we take a look at the truth of this of this unanswerable question, really. What do I know of holy? As we've been entering into considering what is prayer, and uh, I'm going to start a series on prayer. This is part one. It's going to go for a while. What is prayer? I've asked a lot of people, is your prayer life all that you want it to be? And I've never had anybody say yes. Whether it's a person who prays five minutes a month or, or a person who seems to be in prayer every minute of their day. Everybody longs for their prayer life to be something more than what it is, to be even more than what it is. And, and as we look at that and as I've considered that, this song stirred in my heart and in my mind. Because the very first thing we need to consider when we start talking about prayer is who are we talking to? Who, who is it that we're talking to? And we're talking to God. Does God hear your prayers? Does he, does he hear every one of your prayers that you offer? Does he hear every prayer that's offered by anybody? Does God hear those prayers? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Does he, does he pay attention? Is he listening? Is he involved at all? Does he, does he really know? Does he really care? Does God hear our prayers? A couple of weeks ago, I was having a conversation with someone. And the conversation revolved around his relationship with God, with Christ, and what he felt that was and what it looked like for him. And it's an ongoing conversation I've been having with this person as he wrestles to try to determine how in the world I could believe what I believe. And I said to him, I said, so what do you think is waiting for you? Do you think heaven's a perfect place? He said, I don't think there is a heaven. Okay, then what do you think this is all about? He said, well, I think we, we do the best we can. We live our, our lives in such a way that we, we do the best we can and we do the things that Jesus has told us to do and, and we try to make an impact and, and hopefully when we die, we leave a legacy that, that is something for people to build on. And I said to him, I said, how, how does that hold you? 
I said, you, you say you want to do the things that Jesus said. Could I tell you some of the things that Jesus said? Because I think you might have missed them along the way. Jesus said that he came to seek and save the ones who were lost, the ones who didn't know who he was. He came to seek and save those. Jesus, Jesus said that he came to be God in the flesh and to live a perfect life without any sin. And Jesus said he came and he died so that the penalty for our sin could be paid for. And that he rose again to show that there could be victory over death. And Jesus said that he went to be with the Father and that he would go to prepare a place for us. And when he, when he did, he'd come back to take us to where he is, perfect heaven. So if you want to hold on to the things Jesus said, that's a great place to start. I said, who, who is God to you? And he began to describe a God that he had designed. A, a, a God who was one who had been involved in the creation of things that, that had worked through an evolutionary process and had stepped into that process to, to mold it and shape it and massage it and, and then basically just let it go. When God released his people from Egypt, when he called the Israelites out of Egypt and, and took them to the mountain and gave them the laws, the, the first three of the laws that he gave, you'll have no other God before me. You will fashion no other God in, a, in an image. You, you'll not take an image of anything in heaven or on earth or below the earth and fashion that into a God. And you will not misuse my name. And if I were to tell you that this is my God and that I talk to this God and this God hears me and, and answers every problem I have, what would you think? Go ahead. I'm loony, right? I'm nuts. Well, you know. You understand that if you create a God, it's just like praying to the water bottle. If you say that I believe that God is this, a loving God would be like this. I believe that a God who is really involved in my life would not allow me to go through these things that are so hard. I believe that a God who is really loving, I believe that that God allows me to sin and extends great grace to that sin. And if I'm involved in a relationship that's not pleasing to him, he's okay with that. That's, that's the God that I talk to. You understand at that point in time, you're talking to a water bottle. You're talking to an idol that you have created. You're not talking to God. You're talking to the God you've created. And that God doesn't hear you. And you're not talking to this God. So people say, I, I'm praying. And I say, who are you praying to? Are you praying to God? Or are you praying to a God that you've designed? 
Because if you're praying to a God that you've designed, you might as well be praying to a water bottle. And we all agreed that wasn't smart. (laughs) So what are the ways that I do that? What are the ways that you do that? What are the ways that we that we design God and talk to him, but we're not talking to him. And our prayers feel like they're not going to God, and I would suggest it's because they're not. And this text in Job, as we, as we open it up and as we unfold it and as we look at it, we're going to see who God says he is. One of the things I asked this gentleman when I was talking to him, I said, imagine that, that I just saw your picture. And I went out and I told everybody everything I thought that picture meant about you. I told them about your relationship with your wife and your kids and your grandkids. And I told them about the job you had when you were in school and the first car you had. And I, I told them all about you. But I never talked to you. And I never asked you who you were. Or suppose I come and I get to know you. Then I begin to go tell people who you are based on who you've told me you are. And he said, oh, I'd much prefer the second. I said, well, you haven't heard all the stuff I've said on the first. But of course, I would rather have people telling, telling other people about who I am as I've revealed myself to be. I said, it's the same with God. God has told us who he is. And he's done that so that we can know him. And that in knowing him, we can know who it is we're praying to and who it is that we can be in relationship and who it is that we will spend eternity with. And so as I thought about that, I thought that that Job is probably the, the best place for us to go. If you've been with us a little while, you know the last three weeks, I spent um, three weeks talking about five verses. Today we're going to do five chapters in one. So do the math and, you know, no, I'm kidding. Job 38. God says this. Who is this that darkens my counsel? With words without knowledge, brace yourself like a man and I will question you and you shall answer me. God, thank you for preserving these words. Thank you for for keeping them for us. Help us to brace ourselves today. Question us, Lord. Question us the way that you questioned Job. Help us to see who you are as you've revealed yourself, not as how we've explained ourselves. You're, You're... Self to us. Speak into our lives, please God, I pray. In your name, amen. We know the story of Job. A man who suffered. A man who had tried the best he could to live a, a life that was right before God. He did the right things and, 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 and all of a sudden the suffering came into his life. Disease, death, loss. Just about everything you can imagine was taken away from him. And just like the rest of us, when that happened, the first question in his mouth was why? Why? 
And his friends came and and helped him with the answer of why, but we find out they really didn't know either. And And then God comes to answer his question, and he doesn't answer his question with telling him why. He answers the question by telling him who. Because the real answer is not why things are happening, it's who is in charge of what's happening. And when we understand who God is as he's revealed himself to be, all of a sudden the why doesn't matter anymore to us. And Job, in this, in this wonderful, wonderful poem and Hebrew poetry that's been saved for us, we get a glimpse into who God reveals himself to be. And we see as we look at it that prayer recognizes the power and the love of God. Prayer recognizes the power and the love of God. I have another quote in your notes there towards the end. It's, it's by Meister Eichhardt from his sermons in circa 1300. And he says this, he says, God is a word and that word, uh, the word that, that is God is, is unexpressed. The only one who can speak of God is God himself. God speaks or God does not speak. If you think you know something of God and describe it in words, the God you have described is not God. God is greater than your terminology. God is far greater than your language. He's inexpressible. My mouth may speak of God, but so does the presence of a stone. I love that. I'm going to share with you some of the things that scriptures revealed to me, and I'm going to express those, but but really, even those fall so far short of expressing who God is. That just the presence of a stone, the very presence of this, speaks to the truth that God is here. The sunrise that Karen and Jim talked about. It's not that the, the sunrise speaks to us, but the sunrise, Psalm 19, declares the glory of God. It declares his magnificence and his presence in a way that he tries to express to Job. And so in chapter 38, we see that God is the creator. If we're going to come to a place where we recognize the power and the love of God, the first thing that that God starts with as as he reveals himself to Job is by letting him know that he's the creator. Now we need to be careful not to read inflection into the text I don't know how many of you get a text message or an email and and you read it and you think it means this because you're putting all sorts of emotions into it and everything. I I had an email that I sent out to to Allie and I I did it on Facebook and I inadvertently hit the caps lock, you know, button and so I typed her a message on Facebook and because I'm lazy, I didn't go back and redo it. And she sent back and said, why are you yelling at me? <laughs> I said, I'm not yelling at you, I'm just lazy. You know, and, and so it's, it's this idea, though, we read into the text and we read emotions and we read those things into it. And, and the truth is, as we read these four chapters, it's really hard for us to know what is the emotion that God is speaking? What is, what, how is he saying this? You know, was he saying, brace yourself? Or was he saying, Job? Brace yourself, because you are about to be blown away by who I am. I am powerful, and I am loving, and I am kind, and I want you to see who I am. 
Brace yourself. You're not going to be able to take this if you stand there. Brace yourself. Because I'm, I'm about to pull back the curtain and reveal to you who I am. Brace yourselves. Are you ready? God says this. Where were you? When I, when I laid the earth's foundation, tell me, if you understand who marked off its dimension, surely you'd know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy, oh, I wish I would have been there, but the truth is I wasn't. God was. God created as the morning stars sang. What was that scene? What did it look like? And what was it as God created and God fashioned And God laid out the earth and the universe and spoke. And it came into existence. And it didn't happen by committee. God did it. God and God alone. I created, he said. Where were you? Have you you ever given orders to the morning, verse 12, or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? Oh, don't you love that? Oh, God, shake the wicked out of our earth. Amen. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea? What is the way to the abode of light? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, seen the storehouses of the hail? What is the way to the lightning and where it's dispersed? Where are the, or the place where the east, end, east winds are scattered over the earth? Listen, God created it for his pleasure. He created it all. He made it all. He wasn't just involved in it. He did it. He's saying to Job, Job, I understand. I know that you're in a terrible situation that you can't understand. And you want to know why. And the truth is, you're never going to know why. But let me tell you who. Let me tell you who I am. So that you can know that the situation you're in is handled by by God. Not the God you've created, but the God who I am. And I have created everything. He goes on, and he says, not only have I created everything, but the second thing he says is that he sustains everything. Chapter 38, verse 39. Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket, who provides food for the ravens when, when the young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you, do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. Their young thrive and grow strong in the wilds. They leave and do not return. He's telling Job, and and I I hope you'll take this back and, and read it. And he's saying, I sustain everything. 
I sustain everything. I am, I am not only am I the creator, I'm the one who holds everything together, God says. Everything. God knows exactly how many snowflakes are going to fall out here today. The weathermen don't. God does. And he's got them counted. And he knows exactly what each one of them looks like. God knows. And God knows why there's exactly that many snowflakes and not one more. God knows that. God sustains that. God's in order of that. God sends the lightning. God makes it thunder. God is the one who feeds the lions. I don't know about you, but I always, you know, you watch the shows and you think, well, the lions are taking care of themselves. No, the Bible says God's taking care of them. He's sustaining them. He's providing their food. He's the one who's in the raven's nest. He's the one who's taking care of the babies. He's the one who's overseeing all of that. God says, it's me. God says, I know the gestation period of every deer that has ever been born in any place in the world at any point in time. I have watched the gestation period and I've been in the delivery room with every one of them. And not just the mountain goat, not just the deer, but every animal, every birth of every animal, every insect, every person, everything. God knows everything about every one of those things. God sustains it all. Oh, man. If that doesn't excite you, check your pulse. (laughs) I can't even keep my desk clean. (laughs) God, listen. If he's watching a mountain goat give birth, What do you think is the level of involvement he has in your life? Because he has fashioned you in his image. You have been created specially for him. Listen, he's letting Job know, listen, I understand Job. I understand the pain you're in. Oh, believe me, I do. I know it better than you do, but I want you to know something. I am in the midst of it. And I want you, as I pull back the curtain, brace yourself, because you need to be ready for this. I created you, and I'm sustaining you. And in the midst of what you're experiencing, I am with you. When Karen and I went through the time in our marriage, it was so dark. For three years... And we, we went through this time and she was crying out to the Lord. I was crying out to the Lord. What? What? Really? God? What? I don't, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be treated the way she's treating me. I don't deserve to have these things in my life. I don't think you understand all that I've done for you. I don't, I don't think you, you fully grasp God. 
And then I caught a glimpse of who he might be. And all of a sudden I came into his presence. Not the God that I had stood in pride. But I bowed myself before the God of the universe. And prayed the hardest prayer there is. God, take this cup. Take it away. But not my will. Yours. See, when you come to a point where where you realize that God is the creator and the sustainer and he is intimately involved in every moment of every life that was ever lived and ever will be lived, including yours, then the, the, the circumstances that you, in, that you are in are not the issue. The issue is God. That's the issue. It's God. And it's all about him. And there's a pause in the action. As God gives Job a chance to catch his breath. And Job says this, I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. When when God says, so will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him accuse God, answer him. See, Job had said, I need a day in court. I need to talk to God and God's going to answer me. He's going to tell me why this is happening to me. Can you believe talking to God that way? You've done it. And so have I. And God says, okay, go for it, Job. Job says, how can I reply to you? I'm violent. I got nothing to say. And Job is starting to understand. And God steps in with one more truth. Not only is God the creator, not only is God the sustainer, God is the subduer. God is the one who subdues. And as he steps into the next passage, he says to to Job in chapter 40, verse 8, would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? Oh, wow. Who, brace yourself is right. Oh my goodness, God, I've done that. I've done that. I've discredited God. I've condemned God so that I could be justified. I've... I've thought of God as less than who he is so that I could be justified in holding on to the stuff I was holding on to. It's called pride. It's called pride, and pride puts us in opposition to God. And God opposes the proud parts of your life, of my life. And the proud parts of my life are those places where, where I condemn God to justify myself. And God steps in and says, listen, if you're doing that, you need to understand something. I'm the one who subdues creation. 
And I'm the one who will be worshipped. I am the one who will be adored. I am the one, he doesn't say here, but later in Scripture, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I am that one. Now he uses Leviathan and Behemoth to, to make this illustration and how unfortunate it is that we don't know what Behemoth and Leviathan were. I happen to believe they were dinosaurs. I happen to believe they were immense and massive creatures. You've seen on, on TV maybe where the grizzly bear comes, you know, and the grizzly bear comes and the, and the grizzly bear comes and it says, Duh. <laughs> and Michelle's like, eh. I would not do that. <laughs> yeah, you'd be freaking out. <laughs> and believe it or not, grizzly bears are bigger than me. But when you look at it and you think, if you had a grizzly bear over you like that, you'd be like, uh, gotta poke you. I, what? And so God's using behemoth and leviathan, enormous creatures of some sort known to Job. And Job would say, gee. And God would say, I can subdue that. And in so doing, what he's letting Job know is, listen, whatever you have in your life that you feel is so big that it's overwhelming you and it's, and it's taking you over and you think that this circumstance is going to define you, understand, I've created it, I sustain it, and I'm subduing it according to my power and my love for you. And Job responds because God's explanation of himself, his revelation of himself brings a response. And Job's response is seen for us in chapter 42, verses one through six. Job replies to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job says, I, I had heard of you. I had heard about you. I had imagined in my mind who you were. I had, I had thought that I had known who you are, but, but through your questioning of me, Lord, in the way that you've questioned me, I can see, another version puts it this way, I am ashamed of myself. And I am so sorry. I am so sorry. As I sit in the dust and ashes, I promise to change my heart and my life. I'm so ashamed of myself, God. I am so sorry. I promise to change. See, an encounter with God, when you come to a place where you allow God through his word to speak to you who he is. It takes a sinner and it, it makes that sinner silent. And it takes that silent sir, sinner and it makes him a servant. 
And to place that person into submission to God. And later in the chapter, we see that once we become a submissive servant to God, we become an intercessor for others. As God calls us to intercede for others. Seeing God for who he is. Listen, brace yourself. Brace yourself because about the minute you believe you've seen all there is to know about the amazing and magnificent and beautiful God, brace yourself because there's more. Then one day when Jesus comes back to take me to be in his presence, I will be in the ecstasy of heaven where praise and adoration is occurring all the time and I will join in in ways that I can't even begin to imagine now, but I get a glimpse of it here. And the hint of who he was or who he is drives me to my knees. If you follow me on Facebook, as I was showering over this this morning, I wrote this. My pride locks me in agony. I see submission sets me free. Your beauty now, my God, I see. Forgive me, Lord. Take all of me. Oh, God. Search us in this. We've braced ourselves today. And through your word, you've spoken to us. I'm absolutely convinced there's people in this room who do not believe you are who you say you are. There's others who don't believe it fully. There's people who are bored by you who are in this room, God. I pray that in your kindness, you would bring them to repentance. In your kindness, you would drive them to their knees. God, I know what it's like to stand in opposition to you. I still do, but I understand what it's like to stand in full opposition to you. I know the agony that that brings into my life. For those of us who have caught a glimpse, Lord, overwhelm us evermore with who you are. And have that drive us to our knees so that we, in lockstep with you, can see your kingdom come into this earth. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.